be on time for supper. When I call you for dinner, stop playing ball with your friends and come home immediately. Sit up straight in your chair. Don't put your water glass too close to the edge of the table. If you do, you might knock it onto the floor. Finish everything on your plate or no desserts. You do not leave the table until I or your mother give you permission to leave. Those, my brothers and sisters, were some of my earthly father's dinner rules. They were never written down anywhere. There was no official book of Suryani eating dinner rules. But they were promulgated verbally often. And whenever they were violated, either by yours truly or his little sister, which I will admit did happen on more than one occasion, an appropriate punishment was assigned and administered immediately. And there was no court of appeals in the Suryani household. My father's word was final. He was judge, jury, executioner, chief justice of the Supreme Court, El Presidente. He was all of that and more. Like it or not. This morning I'd like to review with you some other dinner rules. The ones given to us by our Father in heaven. They're given in reference to the meal that we are here to share today and every Sunday, the Holy Eucharist, the meal His Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross to give to us. And they're given to us through His Son's mouthpiece on earth, the Church. I decided to deal with this issue in today's homily for two reasons. First of all, because it is Corpus Christi Sunday. And secondly, because many of our Heavenly Father's children seem to be unclear about some of his dinner rules. Although these are written down for us, either in sacred scripture or in canon law or in some other church document. So here they are. This, by the way, is not an exhaustive list. These are just some of the more important dinner rules. Rule number one, whenever we come into the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, we should always genuflect, unless we are physically unable to do so. As it says in the document, Eucharistiae Sacramentum, genuflection on one knee is prescribed before the Blessed Sacrament, whether it be reserved in the tabernacle or exposed for public adoration. We should also genuflect whenever we pass in front of the tabernacle. If we're on our way out that door, we should genuflect in front of the tabernacle. If the tabernacle is in the center of the church, as it is in some Catholic churches, we should genuflect toward the center. We should genuflect when we come into church to acknowledge the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I ask you, do you genuflect before you enter your pew for Sunday Mass? If you haven't been doing that in the past, hopefully you will do it from now on. Rule number two, 
Under ordinary circumstances, Protestants cannot receive the Eucharist in a Catholic Church. And the corollary here is also true. Catholics cannot receive in a Protestant Church. And that includes Christ Episcopal Church down the street. I mentioned Christ Episcopal explicitly because I've heard stories over the years about some of our parishioners receiving communion there at funerals and weddings. They might invite you, that's true. The minister there may offer it to you. You have to respectfully refuse as a Catholic. Now, why these restrictions? Is the church being mean-spirited here? No. The Church is simply asking us as Catholics to be honest. Honest. In 1 Corinthians 10, 17, St. Paul says, For though the loaf of bread is one, we, many though we are, are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. That's a very important text of the scripture. You see, when we share the Eucharist with others, whether we realize it or not, we are making a statement, a public statement, that we are one in faith with the people who are receiving with us. That's what St. Paul is telling us in this text of the Bible. But unfortunately, we are not one in faith with our Protestant brothers and sisters. Yes. Thanks be to God, we do share some elements of belief in common. True. But not enough such that we can partake together of the one loaf. We are working toward that unity. Praise God. And hopefully someday it will be attained. But we're not there yet. And we have to be honest about that. Rule number three, as we are told in Canon 919 of the Code of Canon Law, if we want to receive the Eucharist, we must fast for one solid hour from all food and drink, except water and medication. That includes gum, by the way. Obviously, if you are sick or unable to fast for some medical reason, this rule does not apply to you, although not chewing gum at Mass does apply. No one should be doing that. Rule number four, under ordinary circumstances, if we have committed a mortal sin, we must not receive communion until we have gone to confession. At the risk of offending some people, I will now get specific, because whenever I make a statement like this from the pulpit, invariably people come to me after Mass saying, but Father Ray, what sins would fit into that category? Well, here are some of the more common ones, and I base this on my 26 years of hearing confessions. Missing Mass on Sunday, or a holy day, without a good reason. Deep hatred for another person. Remember, St. John in his first letter equates hatred with murder. Adultery, fornication, masturbation, homosexual activity, artificial contraception, sterilization, procedures like IVF. All of these things need to be confessed. 
And of course, if a person is involved in an invalid marriage, that person must not receive until after the marriage is validated. Now, if that's your situation, please don't despair, don't get angry. Simply make plans to see a priest or a deacon in the near future to talk about what needs to be done to straighten the matter out. We clergy deal with situations like these all the time. Father Ray, these are very radical ideas. No, they're not. In fact, almost all of them can be found on the inside front cover of your missalette. There you will find the official guidelines for receiving communion that have been issued by the Catholic bishops of our country. And please notice what they say about those who are unable to receive the Eucharist for one reason or another. This is very important, and I think it can be a source of some consolation for people. The bishops say, all who are not receiving Holy Communion are encouraged to express in their hearts a prayerful desire for unity with the Lord Jesus and with one another. In other words, they are encouraged to ask Jesus into their hearts so that they can have a spiritual communion with him. They can't receive the Lord Eucharistically at the present time, but they can receive him, if they so choose, in another way. Here at St. Pius, of course, I also encourage those not receiving communion either to come up to me or to the deacon of the Mass with their arms crossed over their chest in this fashion, and I or the deacon are happy to give you a blessing in the Lord's name, if that applies to you. But please keep in mind this last one is what you might call a local dinner rule. This kind of blessing is not mandated by the church, so it's not offered everywhere, but I think it's a nice thing to do. It helps people to feel connected to the community, even if they can't receive the Eucharist, and I think that's very important because they should feel connected. Finally, a few quick rules on receiving. Number one, when we approach the altar, we should do so with reverence. I suggest holding your hands in this fashion or in this fashion, unless, of course, you have a baby in your arms, then do not do this and drop the baby. You're excused from this rule. Number two, when we come up for communion, our focus should be on the one whom we are about to receive, namely Jesus Christ. We should not be focused, if we're a young man, on the cute girl in the line over here, or if we're a young woman, on the cute guy over there. I was young once, I remember those days. But our focus, as much as possible, should be riveted on the Lord. Number three, before we receive, we are supposed to make an act of reverence. Many people forget this. This is the teaching of the Church. Here's what it says in the General Instruction to the Roman Missal, the official document of the Church on this matter. When receiving Holy Communion, the communicant bows his or her head before the sacrament as a gesture of reverence and receives the body of the Lord from the minister. Number four, if we choose to receive in the hand, we should make a throne for the Lord in this fashion. 
a flat throne. You'd be surprised what we see in communion lines. Some come up with what you might call the coin slot. <laughs> Somehow we're supposed to get the Eucharist in there. Some come up with what you might call the slide. You know, you young people have slides at home. You know what a slide looks like? Like this. Now, if I put the Eucharist in the person's hands when they have them like this, you know where it's going to end up. We do have the pickers, too. The snatchers, the pickers. No, no. A nice, flat throne, one hand under the other. Number five, when the priest or deacon or extraordinary minister says the body of Christ, we are to say, Amen. Not, thank you. Not, have a nice day, Father or anything else. You'd be surprised what we hear in communion lines. Nor are we to do an impression of a mime and say nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Number six, if we receive in the hand, we are to take one step to the side and consume the Eucharist right there at the foot of the sanctuary. We are not to take communion back to our pew or home to our sick relatives. If you do that, I will chase you down. <laughs> Some of you have seen me do that. I, as a priest, am to be a good custodian of the Eucharist. I have to do that. I tell other priests they should do it, deacons, even extraordinary ministers. So don't be offended if one of them chases you down. We're doing it for a right reason. We want to make sure that host is consumed and consumed reverently. If someone is at home and unable to come to Mass and wants to receive, let us know. We have extraordinary ministers who take communion to the sick of our parish every Sunday. Now, I must admit something to you in conclusion. In all honesty, when I was growing up, when I was little Ray Suriani in Barrington, Rhode Island, causing my trouble there, <laughs> I didn't always like my father's dinner rules. At times, I thought they were unreasonable, arbitrary, and just plain unfair. But looking back on it now, I am, after all, a little older and hopefully a little bit wiser, and I realize my dear old dad was right. My father wanted our suppers together to be pleasant experiences, pleasant experiences for everyone in the family. And his rules, when they were actually obeyed by my sister and me, helped to make that happen. Our Heavenly Father's dinner rules are given to us for a similar purpose, so that the Eucharistic banquet that we celebrate here will be a spiritually profitable experience for everybody involved. May our observance of his dinner rules help to make that happen each and every Sunday.